You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 49, covering Star Trek IV The Voyage Home with special guest Aaron Shoemate. All right, so here we are, friends. We're here. Hello. Reviewing hello. the fourth movie, and we brought another friend, a new friend, actually. Yes. Say hello to the people, Din. Hello, people. She is here because, uh, in her capacity as a, uh, what, what, what do you like to be called, a Spock uh, um, groupie? A Aficionado. Spock, uh, ah, I see. Noted Spock enthusiast. <laughs> I, am, I am his that, tr- true love, actually. <laughs> is, there, is there a Vulcan equivalent to Imzadi? Because I guess that would be... Uh, right. I don't think so. Uh, not that I know of. Very well. It's it's unfortunate that we didn't know you as well as we do now. Back when we did like a mock time, because I think that would have. Yeah. Oh yeah. The time to uh, to talk to you, but yeah. uh, but I think uh, I think we we got another. We uh, would have been we would have been happy to bring you in for Spock a mock. Yes. <laughs> but I I also think that um it's it's probably a good thing we didn't talk to you last week when there was that whole. That, thing I don't. Sav- I don't know what you're talking Savick about. And, uh, very well. <laughs> Well, why don't we uh, why don't we tell the people the movies that we saw, um, or the movie that we each saw? The thing um, we did. Yes, Den. Uh, why don't you start? Oh, all right. A strange space object is heading straight for Earth, broadcasting an inscrutable noise that appears to be some kind of message. Along its path, it leaves destruction. It wants whales. Only whales can respond to the signal. Enter the Enterprise crew to save the day again. Only parts of the Enterprise crew rather need a little saving themselves just now. After retrieving a mostly dead all-day Spock from Vasquez Rock's SoCal, or, I mean, Vulcan, we use questionable physics to zip back in time to when humanity hadn't yet butchered all the whales to steal the last two around, impoverishing 80s Earth even further, and return to the future present just in time to save the probe from destroying the much-deserving Earth. Meanwhile, Spock learns a little more about what it means to be human, and everyone else learns what it means to be a friend. Oh, and the ship is destroyed again, and Kirk decides he hates being Admiral, so pisses off the brass so he can helm the shiny new Enterprise, and someday blow that one up, too. The end. I especially like that you included the end, just so we're clear. <laughs> the human adventure will not be continuing now. Please exit the human adventure to your left. There was a curtsy there Make as sure. well. Ah, Make sure to pick up all your aliens outside the human adventure. <laughs> Do you want my summary haiku as well? Yes, please. Absolutely. My summary haiku. There be no whales here. Spock, I am your friend. Let's go. Enterprise, go boom. Excellent. That was beautiful. We were really hoping you'd class up the joint and uh, and show you that. (laughs) Yes, just wait until I talk about mostly naked, wet Spock. (laughs) Well, he does does prance around in his bathrobe for a good portion of the Actually, the entire movie, come to think of it, except the very end. You don't get that Extremely comfortable bathrobe. Yes. Oh, oh, I could make it even more comfortable. Well, let's let's, uh, let's, let's get to the summaries first before we uh, we start (laughs) bottling. Matt, how about you? All right. So a giant fucking space tube is approaching the Earth, giving off weird noises and wrecking everything that ever there was. Meanwhile, on Vulcan, the former crew of the exploded Enterprise are all in hiding while Spock gets his shit back together after his mysterious resurrection. 
After fixing up the Klingon bird of prey they sw- stole from Switchblade Sam in the last movie, they head back to Earth to stand trial for stealing the Enterprise. They arrive to find that all the shit with the space tube that I was just talking about is going on, and Uhura, doing the first useful thing since the series started, figures out that the bizarre noise that the probe is making is actually Humpback Whale Song played backwards. With satanic messages. <laughs> so the space tube is trying to get some precious ambergris, I guess. Ah. <laughs> Problem is that there are no humpback whales left on Earth because of mankind's barbaric past. So the crew does the easiest thing they can think of and goes back in time to the 80s to look for whales. <laughs> what follows is a hilarious fish-out-of-water story as, che- as Uhura and Chekhov steal radiation from a Russian sub. Bones and Scotty change the course of human history. Sulu bangs a naval officer and steals his helicopter. And Spock and Kirk swipe some local whales. And also a marine biologist. Whoops. Anyway, they all return to the 23rd century and the whales fix everything. Although we never actually find out what the fuck the probe wanted or where it came from or why it needs whales or anything like that. I, I should just... Uh, the end. <laughs> thank you, Matt. The I end. should just clarify, Din, that uh, that, that is in no way a, an endorsement of, of the hunting of whales with the precious hamburgers <laughs> thing. That was just one of our favorite Futurama references. Ah, uh, I see. Precious hamburgers? <laughs> precious hamburgers. Okay, I'll erase okay. Matt from the list of people to be destroyed. Very well. Oh, Substantially long list. One out of like 87 lists on Yeah. (laughs) And that's just on Twitter. Okay. Uh, And for me, um, a mysterious vessel emerges from space, disabling ships and starbases and heading straight for Earth. Only Kirk and a more emotionally distant than usual Spock, with the help of an actor who went to be in the show Seventh Heaven, can save the day. Mark Lennard is back, as is Majel Barrett. We get to hang out on Vulcan a little at the beginning. Outdated clothing and hairstyles abound. And while the ending is satisfying on a narrative level, it's not entirely clear what happened to make the danger go away. In the end, Kirk tosses aside his duties as Admiral to arrive off into the sunset of the bridge of a new and improved Enterprise. Hang on, didn't I just see this one like three weeks ago? (laughs) Uh, The Uh, end, I guess. Nice. Seriously, it is quite a lot. Just sort of bare bones like the motion picture. (laughs) Probe comes from out of nowhere, wants something, then goes away, I guess. I, somewhere in the center of the universe, like probes just get shot at her. <laughs> There's a probe factory, <laughs> a giant dartboard. Yeah, uh, uh, we've built a new tr- a new probe. Where shall we send it? Oh, Earth. That's where we test messed, all the probes. We haven't messed with Earth in a couple of years. Let's some more probes that way. <laughs> but the only ship there is the Enterprise. Exactly. It's like in Europe. Who shall we invade? Poland. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, tragedy. <laughs> So yeah, this is this is the one. This is the most you know accessible one. This is the one everyone thinks of as the fun one. Accurately so, I think it's mm-hmm. you know the sort of light comedy, the fish out of water, go back in time one. And uh, there, I mean, there's a lot going for it. I think it's I, definitely a very fun movie, especially know? after the last two. Like I've said before, these these three, you know, two, three, and four form a nice trilogy, especially with Spock, where you know he dies and then he comes back and then he kind of gets back to normal again. <laughs> like Jesus, he dies, is resurrected, and goes back in time. <laughs> You show me in the Bible where it doesn't say that. <laughs> well, it's funny. It's and funny. And Jesus that... did get into the glory and it did go back to the 1950s. <laughs> you know, well, he, kind he, of a whale captain. Yeah, you know, he uh, he totally brought the whale. Like the whales were like, um, what do you call it, Lazarus, right? Yeah. Except, uh, except Noah. Was... Yeah, so there you go. yeah. The ark. There you go. That's that. Yeah, that works work. perfect. Yeah. Is that what you mean? No, I meant uh, the guy that he brought back to life, but. Uh, that works too. Oh yeah, yeah. The whales brought back to life as, exactly. as Lazarus was. I see where you're going. Yeah, by, sorry, by the savior, by our one true savior, Spock. 
Mm-hmm. Exactly. No, yes. I actually, uh, some years ago, I, I made a, a goof page um, for the Church of Spock, which is still up on my website. I'll, I'll provide a link. And every now and then I get a, a genuine email from someone wanting to know how they can join the Church of Spock. Where basically I just took sort of bullet points comparing Spock to Jesus because I thought it was funny. And uh, some people apparently think that's a real thing. So I would totally join that church. <laughs> no, see, you, you want to bang the Savior. That's a whole other thing. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it worked for Mary Magdalene. <laughs> that's true. Very well. But and this one we'll get to wear those super comfortable robes. So. Yeah, those robes look fantastic. But no, I this... don't look very good in white, though. Well, I really because I thought everyone looked good in white. Cape. What's that? And get her a snake cape. Oh yeah, like in couple. like in the motion picture, the the black uniform that he. Had. Yeah. Everyone looked good in black. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Black go. is my color. But no, I mean, you know, like I said, these, these are sort of the three, you know, like the trilogy, and and you know. You had two, which was just the big adventure and ended sort of darkly. And then three was very dark. And then so this one, you kind of take a breather and things get a little lighter. And, and it really works. I think, you know, tone wise, I think we get a nice break from the, you know, blowing up the Enterprise and everyone dying and, and all that. And, and we get just like a fun adventure, which, you know. Yeah, I really feel like after all the losses of Star Trek three, you yeah. know, they needed they, they needed just something that was. Ah, wax. Well, that's the thing. That's the other <laughs> Go ahead. It, it's interesting that it is, I think, as you say, a good three-movie arc, given that they had different writers and different directors, yet they still all work together so beautifully. Well, there's a lot of little, little like thematic threads, like with, with Spock especially, that they that they keep going, but also a lot of tiny little, like, um, they need money in the 20th century, and Kirk pulls out the pair of glasses that we saw Bones give him for his birthday in two. Like, there's a lot yep. of little things in those movies that tie together to each other, and he still had them in his pocket. We saw them put. We, we saw him put them in there. Right. So you know, it feels yeah, like they were designed glasses. to go together. Yeah, which was which is great. the gun on the table in Act One. Yes, was actually yes, used. yes. I think they they did a really good job of, of keeping that continuity and remembering those things and being clever about how to use them. I think they did a good job. Yeah, definitely. And there's a there's yeah, a lot of callbacks. We saw Chekhov's gun doesn't work in this movie. <laughs> Chekhov in uh, once again. I mean, we're we're sort of on Chekhov patrol here, but really. He had no, like, all he did was slow down the plot. He didn't do anything useful. The, mm-hmm. the mission that they sent him on could have been a, you know, Uhura could have done that by herself. They oh, did. yeah. She probably wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> she really didn't need him. <laughs> that just made it awkward because they didn't talk. They just kind of stared at each other while they were waiting for the thing. Yep. I do not need a white man to help me with this. <laughs> well, she doesn't need a man at all, you see. It's, oh, no. It's one of those things. No, but I, it, I need a man. <laughs> no, that's what I was going for. So, uh, well done. <laughs> no, I, we've we've talked before about how the crew often don't get things to do. Like, you, it's always the Kirk and Spock show. And this one, I think, more than any of the original six movies, the you know the rest of the guys kind of have something to do. And again, Uhura gets the, you know get, gets screwed out of that. But for the most part, like Sulu gets something, and Scotty gets something, yep. and you know it's it's as close as as we can get to that, which is nice, right. But, and Bones gets his good moment where he gets to complain about 20th century medicine. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's oh, great. Oh, God, I love the pain. It's great to have Bones as the character foil to, to Kirk and to Spock, but to actually put him in his element and to have him dealing with medical stuff, like, that's mm-hmm. right. even better. That's yeah. fantastic. But um, My God, you barbarians. Uh, that whole, well, there's a whole, like, He probably minutes. feels as much like a, an alien in that milieu as the actual aliens Oh, would. absolutely. Oh, yeah. And I think he, he, did, he showed that well. Yeah, and, and DeForest Kelly's always great with that kind of stuff. He's, oh, yeah. You know, 
He's just fantastic. Um, but, you know, the reason we have you here is to talk about Spock, so I think maybe we should take a few minutes to specifically discuss, you know, what he went through, what he what he was cleaning up from from the last movie and sort of his journey in this one. So uh, spotlight on on the groupie. Spotlight. Uh, <laughs> don't call it that. Spotlight. Oh, well, what, what, what shall I say? <laughs> I mean, he, he was temporarily dis- discommoded, let's say. Dead? He, some say, <laughs> yes, that, that he was not within this particular realm of, of quantum existence. <laughs> but, of course, his greatness was, was too great to be contained by, oh. by the realm of death. And he, ta-da, returns. <laughs> As if by um, magic. As Just if... As Spock returns from the dead. <laughs> With absolutely no consequences whatsoever. He just... Comes I've never met before. <laughs> With the power of love. No. Uh-huh. Um, and then, of course, on, on Vulcan, he re- undergoes his, his training again, and they test him to make sure his brain is working. And His uh, mother gives him the ringer question at the end, which you know, I totally always did when I was a teacher. <laughs> I, knew, I knew they wouldn't answer. And he can't answer it, but then at the end he can, and I think that's kind of interesting and very crucial because he gets his own little mini arc in this film. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Like, I think I can see where he gets from. I don't know how to, how to answer. How do you feel? To I do know how to answer that, but he does sort of disappear in the second act. I notice, like once everyone's off on their oh, own yeah. missions, he's just in the bird of prey. I guess running calculations or something, and he just he kind of disappears for a while. And it, it, it yeah, also feels really like the, the rehumanizing of Spock from like as early as motion picture. Well, yeah, because the you whole know, he go he goes from like trying to completely like destroy his emotions to feeling fine. Right, right. Yeah, it was rushed. I think a little bit. I think uh, another couple of scenes that highlighted his friendship with um, oh sure. Kirk, as well as the uh, teasing that goes on with him and McCoy, would have, I think, made that journey make a little bit more sense instead of just being kind of automatic. Well, the thing is, all those scenes you're describing were there. They were just kind of stacked in the beginning. In the middle, they just kind of go away for a while. I mean, there's some great banter between the two of them, between him and and Bones, when they're coming to Earth. And, you know, he's trying to, Bones is like, hey, we went through a lot together, huh? And Spock's like, fuck off, man, I'm busy. You know, <laughs> yeah, there, there are two two scenes specifically where McCoy approaches Spock specifically yeah. to test his waters, as it were. And I think, and see I think how... the way I interpret that is partially as a friend and partially as his doctor. He's genuinely uh, he wants to make oh, sure, sure he's actually okay. Right, like Watson getting Holmes off cocaine. <laughs> well, I mean, we 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 mentioned that when we were watching the movie that, um, and I think we mentioned that on the show before that uh, Nick Meyer was heavily involved in these movies and. Uh, also did some uh, some Sherlock Holmes stuff, and I, there's supposed to be some similarities between Holmes in his later years and, and Kirk in his later years, I know, but mm-hmm. uh, I guess that also reflects a little in Spock from what you're saying, too. So, Yeah, I, especially in the original short stories, I always read Holmes' personality a little bit as a combination of Spock and Kirk, because Holmes is actually kind of an ass like well, that actually makes a lot of sense. I've never thought of that before. Yeah, like Kirk, but then he has the computer-like intellect and vast recall of Spock. Right. Mm-hmm. And people are always trying to humanize Holmes the way people are trying to humanize Spock, and then later Data. And I think that Holmes uh, Watson plays much like McCoy's role 
in kind of being a foil and drawing him out and drawing him into the world and, and saying you can't just be this bot that right. doesn't do anything, you know. Or no, I, become I, a I can totally see that. And I think I think we've talked about this before where I don't think that that sort of through line, that consistent vision was there in the series, but I think in the movies they realized, okay, we can we can take the, the common threads through the show and really, you know, crystallize them and say this is what these guys are about. And that's... Yeah, totally. That's when that all started coming together was in the movies where they said, oh yeah, Kirk is really like... He's a cheater and he's, a, you know, he really is a jerk. It's not just a coincidence. He's That's part yeah. of his nature. So there's that. I, I, there's something I noticed yeah. through this movie that I never realized before. In all six movies, Kirk gets kissed on the cheek by one woman in this movie, and then he gets a, a, a brief kiss on the mouth in six, and that is it. He gets no, like, he does not bed a single woman in any of the movies. That's very strange to me. Yeah, I was actually wondering if, I don't think that was fan backlash or anything, but I wonder if um, Shatner himself just wasn't comfortable with you know, getting his clothes off or something. <laughs> that that could be. But the thing is, he's supposed to be, what, 50 or something? And that's yeah. that's not terribly old now. I mean, they did Bond movies where Connery was still getting laid at 50. And, um, oh, yeah. And, and, there and, are certain differences between Connery and Shatner, though. Yeah, but what I'm saying is in the future, that wouldn't be old at all. Like in the 23rd century mm-hmm. when, you know, I mean, Bones is going to live to be 150. You know, 50's yeah. nothing. Yeah. So right. I, I don't. I don't know that the age is the is the explanation. I, it, may, it might just be that the stories just have no room for it, which is fine. But to me, that's such a such a key part of his character. It's surprising to me that he wasn't banging, you know, the whale biologist, for instance. I kind She's of like that he didn't with her because <laughs> yeah, exactly. But as Matt was pointing out when. We watching the film she's more than that she's not just a, a bond girl she's not a kirk toy she has yeah. a personality her own agenda her own strength yeah she may be one and of the of more like, she may be one of the more strong and capable women we've seen in star trek to date she's definitely right. one of the more developed ones we've seen yeah absolutely and, and she can be feminine you know she can be yeah. wanting to kiss him on the cheek or what have you but that's not going to be all she is she's not no yeah, absolutely. Plus, you know, you get the feeling she's a, she's a bit of a dork because she's she's so wrapped up in her work, which oh, definitely. That, and that's not a complaint at all. That's a, a kind of depth in a way. Like, oh yeah, absolutely. Like, she cares I, about something greater than herself. Yep. Yeah, but I also get the the, the feeling that she really does like. She says in the movie that she doesn't have, have anything to the tw- to the twentieth century. But I really feel like the closest she's got to a friend is the two whales. Yeah, but then she gets on a science just... vessel and leaves Earth immediately. Like, yeah, that actually kind of nothing... bothers me. Really, yeah. it, it does really bother me. Every time I see this movie, I'm like, you know, those whales in a way kind of need her, and they kind of don't. Mm-hmm. But you know, if anything goes wrong with them, or you know, they need veterinary care, who knows what? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And certainly, there are people there who would be interested studying them and would would greatly benefit from her expertise. But she doesn't know anything else that would be useful. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I, I don't imagine, like, I mean, that seems like very specialized training to me. I don't imagine it comes in very useful serving on a, on a deep space uh, science vessel. Uh, no, unless there's, you know, a beluga planet somewhere. <laughs> I mean, maybe. Or maybe that, maybe that uh, ship is going to be chasing the probe to find out what the hell its deal is. Uh, yeah, maybe nice. so. We could retcon that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're like, hey, wait, we got some questions. Hang on. Excuse me. <laughs> we have these recordings. <laughs> we would They're be responding in gibberish. <laughs> um, well, you know, speaking like a toddler. Well, right. 
Speaking of empowered like the women, that the uh, the probe's translation is no kill eye. <laughs> How to serve man? <laughs> My God, it's not it's a probe; it's a cookbook. <laughs> uh, speaking of empowered women, though, this was the first time we've seen on screen a, a female captain, which was nice. It was just very that was, brief, yes. that was very very brief scene, but I feel like because we've made such an issue through the entire series of pointing out that you know women can't be captains and so mm. on and so on, I feel like it's important for us to, to point out that milestone that yes, finally we've seen one. And an African American to boot. That's true. So true. Yep. So that was that was nice. I mean, she got her ass kicked, but you know, everyone well, was getting her yeah. ass kicked at that point. It wasn't wasn't well, just look, her. If so did Kirk's crew, dad. Yeah. Yes. If you're the crew of a ship at the beginning of a Star Trek movie, you're basically fucked anyway. Yeah, right. unless unless that ship's called Enterprise, you're you're done. Yeah. You don't know it, but your shirt is red on screen. Yep. <laughs> well, somebody pointed out that that's why they changed the uh, to the red uniforms. You know, so everyone's wearing red, so that you know nobody's safe now. <laughs> Which I don't know if that's true, but I think that's nice. We can pretend it's true. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. We can pretend anything we want here at the post atomic <laughs> And often the do. The limit is your imagination. Really? Yep. Really? Really? You're gonna go with that, huh? Yes. I I do not uh I do not support this uh this assertion you whatsoever. Can... Keep you your imagination imagine... keep your imagination out of my damn podcast. <laughs> not not yours. You're my co-host, but I mean, you know, you you people listening. I don't want I don't want anything to do with your imagination at all. Mm-hmm. Keep your human adventures away from me too. <laughs> I don't care if it's just beginning or not. <laughs> anyway, um, now the I, one thing I can say, uh, which we don't often get a chance to uh, to really look at, is the comedy was very well structured in this movie. Like, yep. there's a lot of I mean, it's very you know broad like classic setups, a lot of fish out of water, a lot of, you know, straight man and, and that sort of thing. But it, it's almost all of it lands beautifully. And we'll see in five where they try to do it again. And it doesn't, you realize it's not as easy as it looks. Well, especially given a lot of the subject matter of the film, I mean, as an environmentalist and animal rights activist myself, it oh, is here we go. very difficult to, you know, even mention it at all. People just turn off. Well, yeah. So, it, you know, to try to balance that serious message, especially, you know, that that bit of film mm-hmm. of the whaling at the at the Cetacean Institute. Yeah, there's a bit where they're going through a tour and, and yeah, you do see the very gruesome footage of them just tearing whale flesh apart and it's, it's not fun. Right. So, I mean, I think that the humor was absolutely necessary, but not so heavy handed that it looked like an obvious attempt to balance the message. Well, and that's the thing. When you hear the description of this movie, you're like, oh, God, really? They're going to they're going to try to moralize at us. But it doesn't feel like that at all. Right. Yeah. And that is a neat trick. You know why that is, is when we were watching the credits, you will notice that it was not it did not say written by Gene Roddenberry. That's 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 why. (laughs) Because if there is anyone whose fists are made of ham, it is Mr. Roddenberry. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, say what you will about his vision and blah, 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 but uh, he he did not tell a good, subtle message story ever. Well, Gene's visionary vision was quite visionary. <laughs> well, and it, you know, and it is difficult when you desperately care about something like the biologist. I mean, she's obviously... Um, yeah, but they could, have, they could have written her as a, as a really hardcore, you know... Just oh, super yeah, yeah. militant environmentalists that we but couldn't relate to, but they didn't. And I, I think that was beautifully done. You yeah. know, and it's really difficult when you care about something to not let that take over you and and be the only thing you have right. in your personality. You know. Well, and I think it helps. I think it helps that they wrote the story the way they did. That the story that they did, which is mm. you know the fish out of water thing, and she's sort of the audience, you know, relation character in that 
we're in a familiar time, or at least if you were watching this in the late 80s, it would be a familiar time. It's probably just as foreign to Matt now as it was to uh, to Bones. But uh... God, the hairstyles <laughs> at that time were just barbaric. <laughs> but, you know, oh, you have no idea. <laughs> but at, at the time, you know, it was, a, it was a familiar environment. And so she was our, you know, she was our um, uh, sympathetic character with these strangers from the future. So that definitely yeah. helped to put us on her side. Yeah. But there was, I mean, just so much great comedy, especially given that Spock was sort of a blank slate at this point and had mm-hmm. kind of forgotten everything he'd learned about being human. And so it was like starting all over with him. And they got mm-hmm. some good mileage out of that, I thought. Oh, yeah. Especially with, with the whole cursing thing. That was... Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Love that. So hard. I When I did my summary initially, I was going to try to write it in that style of swearing every other word and I couldn't make it work. And <laughs> I said, Matt, this is more up your alley. And, and I, I guess, you know. I guess you couldn't make it work either, but uh, colorful, colorful metaphors are a, are a dangerous weapon. You have to. I don't know nearly as many curse words as I thought I did. I'm kind of sad about that. He just used hell, hell and damn over and over again, but he managed oh, yeah. to make it work quite well. Yeah, I, when I was does. writing mine, I didn't go that way. <laughs> no, and I'm not, you know, that's certainly not a criticism. I just, what I'm saying is it makes, it seems like easy writing, but when you actually sit down to do it, it's not. The hell it is. <laughs> You think it's you think it's like okay, we'll just go insert some hells and dams and call it a day. No, there's some there's some actual crafting going on here. That's yep. uh, it's almost like you know swearing poetry. Yes. <laughs> and speaking of poetry, we did get the lovely moment of D. H. Lawrence. Oh right, yeah, that that part where we all got bored. Yes, <laughs> I kid, I kid. <laughs> No, as, as you say though, it, it never got too heavy-handed. Like there were there were some very serious things going on here. And if and again, if you ever if you read the description of this, you'd be like, really go save the whales, huh? Yeah, here we go. Yeah, the, I mean, like it's in two thousand in two thousand and ten, uh, approximately two million whales that we know of were killed. That's a fuckload, and no one ever really mentions that. They just mention it almost as if it used to happen, like it, it is in the past. And I think that kind of dulled it just a little bit um, but not so much that environmentalists were pissed about it you know so did this movie then have no effect whatsoever um no it actually did and it does help the it actually is typically more whaling done today even though there are a lot of strictures in place but and there are still a couple of countries and i will not name names that will not restrict their whaling in any capacity of any species, including ducks. Um, so now the, for example, the humpback whale population is down to about 5% of what it was at that, at that time. Hmm. Um, you know, and blue whales are almost gone. Um, North Atlantic right whales are almost gone. And of course, krill itself, it's not just the hunting, the fact that, you know, there's so much fishing and and pollution in the ocean itself. Whales are literally starving, just like polar bears. And there's nothing to eat. There's not enough krill, krill to keep them alive. Well, see, people so, people like me and Matt watch this, and we think, oh, well, whales are going to be fine by the 20th century. So what do I care? You know, we we get our <laughs> we get our political opinions and our and our morality from Star Trek, right? I mean, I I don't want to speak for you, Matt, but that's that's pretty much how how I feel. Yeah, well, everything will be fixed in the future. Yeah, so I mean, I don't care about hunger and disease and and war because you know by uh, by the twenty third century, it's all going to be fine. <laughs> and I'll be dead anyway. Well, that yeah. I guess, but doesn't it have to go to hell in a handbasket for a while before they develop the? It has to go to the. Well, we're still wait for we're it. Still waiting on World War Three, so and the subsequent post atomic horror. 
Yeah. So yeah. What is that? So Tom Hour is that a podcast I could listen to? <laughs> Why yes, as a matter of fact. What's that name again? I forgot. <laughs> Perhaps is there a donut button? <laughs> Could be. Um, so yeah, I mean you you know you, you're uh, it, it's not terribly funny that you know we're we're murdering mammals, but uh, but at least the movie was funny. So there's that. That not was my worst segue ever. I mean, it depends on the mammal, you know. Well, soccer moms, that would be funny. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think Kirk's coming back in time to save the soccer moms anytime soon. Can you get Amber Griss yeah. out of soccer moms? <laughs> yeah, but it's not very uh, precious. So, <laughs> I think you get uh, minivans out of soccer moms. <laughs> yeah, I'm not really sure how the how the science goes there, but I'm pretty sure that's how they're harvested. I'm pretty sure it involves pulping the soccer mom. That's step one. Yeah, that's... Well, I'm perfectly okay with that. Yeah. Step you... three is minivan. So. And step four is profit. Exactly. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. So I'm going to get a giant blender and uh, Sarah Palin, and we're all set, right? Oh, God. <laughs> we're not getting political on this show. You've already said too much about uh, about whale murder. I have not! Yes, I, I'm afraid you have. This is a comedy I'm... show. We don't want to bum people out. I'm going to be edited. I'm afraid you are. But... Nothing bad happens in the world. Okay. <laughs> Finished copy. This is just going to you briefly go on whales and then it will be over anyway we brought you here to fawn over spock so we'll do that oh i have fun to do well you got to see him in that robe he i did mince about in his underwear too yeah he was wet in that robe for a while and... he was not mincing about no purposefully manfully manfully huh manfully <laughs> though my love for him is pure it is not you know predicated merely upon his physical person. Oh, of course not. I mean, Spock, you know, Spock is brain first and, and, and physique second. I just don't want to exactly. sell his physique short is all. I mean, I did, as, as I've mentioned to you, make a list of Spock's five sexiest voyage home moments. All right. Well, let's hear him. Well, number one is when he's breathing. Uh-huh. Number two, when he's holding his breath, mind melding with the girl whale. Sure. And not breathing. And number three, I got too distracted to finish the list. <laughs> Very well. My Number three, he takes me purposefully in his arms. <laughs> Number four, pulling me close. Oh. Shows me up against the wall. Oh, wait. Well, I think we have our cover art now. <laughs> I'll just Photoshop I'll just Photoshop his head over Fabio's and yours over uh, whatever the heroine of that particular romance novel is. No, see, it'll be Spock, so it'll be okay. Ew. Oh, okay. All right. So I guess I guess what we look like con his body. Well, yes. Look, <laughs> look at my pecs, Captain. I, I so, don't love you for pecs. I, I guess what we shouldn't mention is the fact that Savick um, may be carrying Spock's child because that. Would I think that's absurd and ridiculous. All right, very well. A little bit of little bit of Jackie Childs there. This is an outrage. <laughs> no, you know I have to say I would I would forgive him. Because it doesn't matter where his penis was. Well, and the thing is, is, it was the mindless, you know, like uh, clone Spock. It wasn't the, the actual no. Spock. So, so, so you know, you think she would have had, she would have had protection or something. You think? No, yeah. I, I doubt she was messing around with David down there. I, I'm pretty sure that was as platonic as it gets. <laughs> so, uh, yep. Oh well, he's gay. He is not. Yeah, he is not his father's son. Let's just put it that way. No. <laughs> I, Which I, was on. But, I get the feeling Kirk was probably okay with that, but uh... yeah, I get the feeling he was okay with it. He wasn't. He didn't 
he doesn't understand it. Well, right, exactly. Why would you, women? Come on. But women are awesome. I, I okay. I think he, his mother raised him specifically to be not her. <laughs> Just like I mean, honestly, him like uh, Clockwork Orange style to make sure he turns out gay. Yep. Exactly. Yes. I, I mean, think but, there was a lot of happening. By that point, they could actually look at the genes and see. And well, no, he, he he's not uh, he's not predisposed toward it. But I'm going to make him that way anyway. It's, it's, well, maybe the mother dabbled in eugenics and she kind of, you know. Well, that makes sense. I mean, got know, rid of some of those chromosomes, Genesis, and all that. I, she, she might have, you know, sure. she, she put proto matter exactly. in his uh, chromosomes. Goddamn proto matter ruins everything. <laughs> I know. Uh, what else? <laughs> I just most of my oh, lines. The terrible are, music. Yeah, we should probably mention the terrible. It opens with sort of Christmas bells for no apparent reason, and uh, there's that. There- Christmas, Captain Kirk. <laughs> Merry Christmas, you old bird of prey. <laughs> yeah, and then there's that ridiculous. But then we go, we get the song "I Hate You." Well, that's that's great, and and you uh, you told us a great little anecdote about that that I was not aware of. Why don't you? Oh uh, yes. Why don't you share that? Oh uh, yes, the uh, punk in the, the subway or a bus. I'm never. It's a, it's a bus. There's a, a there's a dude a in a mohawk okay. just listening really to a really loud boombox with a punk song playing. And, that character was actually played by Kirk Thatcher, who is the associate producer and he, who wrote some of the music for the show. And he wanted to play that character. And the whole scene was inspired by a real-life encounter Nimoy had. Um, and he was offended by this young man's arrogance that he would play this very aggressive, horrible music and, mm-hmm. and basically use it as a weapon. And he remembered thinking at the time that I asked him and he said had I been Spock I could have simply used evil <laughs> get a pinch on him right and so they had this scene in the film and that's what Spock does because that's the logical response <laughs> I like so, I like using Star Trek to uh to to just like get out your frustrations to get out your you know well this annoying thing happened to me let's put it in the movie yes exactly I couldn't actually assault this person in real life. No, so I wrote a scene where that happened. Right. I don't think it's kind of weird to imagine letting and people on people. a bus. Yeah. After that, he used his <laughs> Yeah, I, I can't really picture Nimoy on a bus either. Yeah, it is. That is a little weird. Um, but yeah, so what, apparently... Maybe his they... What's that? Maybe his driver was sick that day. Ah, that must be it, yes, because... We all assume that they so live in, thinking, you know... At least Warp Factor 9. <laughs> oh, stop it. <laughs> Everyone remember where we parked. Worst line ever. <laughs> I actually think a couple of the comedy lines do, did sort of misfire. There's that. And this is my opinion, obviously. you, Matt, you, you were delighted by it, so, you know. I think that's really funny. And I remember it from the trailer when I was little. <laughs> and, like, Scotty talking to the mouse, hello, computer. Like, maybe, maybe I'm sick of that one just because everyone said it for, like, ten years. Mm-hmm. That's, well, I don't like little Scotty. There be whales here. Yeah, that one too. Just like, well, yeah. Huh? It's like, mm. Plus, you pointed out the context that that line's originally from just really doesn't apply here at all. Yeah, I'm not sure Moby Dick is really where you want to go at that moment. But, you know, whatever. Plus, haven't we done Moby Dick enough already, really? To death? <laughs> yes, completely to death. Apparently, Melville is required reading in the 23rd century. And the 24th, because uh, Picard will yeah. use it in First Contact. Oh, that's right. So, so well, after he broke that. your ships. He broke your ships, yes. 
Um, my, my only genuine, like, actual problem with them, like, there's a lot of, we tried to sort of unravel some of the logic and some of the basic science, and it just didn't really work, but who cares? But the only real <laughs> narrative problem I had was, at the very end, everything goes completely back to normal. Everyone, like, is let off the hook for all the bad stuff that they did. Kirk is demoted the captain, and they're given a brand new Enterprise, and it's like, then when we pick up in five, it's like, we're back to one again. Like, nothing ever happened. And I just, I, I don't know, I just, it's one of the things I never liked about Voyager, which is like anytime any meaningful change happened, they would hit the reset button. And it just, it feels yeah. like they kind of went that way here. And that's, uh, but on the other hand, who cares? Like, that just means we get more movies and that's good. I do agree with you, though. I mean, it'd be more like a spiral in that you've gone something like back to the beginning, but you've grown that something important has changed so that it's like the beginning, but not in an right. important um, so I'm, I'm like you. I think that it's it is almost as if the last three movies that were such a beautiful arc yeah. haven't happened. And everyone and really kind of dealt with their mm-hmm. you know their inner stuff and really especially Kirk I think where he had to deal with the fact that you know he's not young anymore and he can't cheat anymore and you know if if you want to make some big you know horrible gesture then then consequences are going to happen. Like you can't just bring your best friend back to life you know, sacrifices have to be made and all that stuff. And yeah. now, nope, you just get what you want no matter what. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, we, we have not learned our lesson. No. But, you know, again, it's Star Trek. Who cares? <laughs> that's kind of... their hand, you did save the Earth, toss him a ship. Yeah. No, that's fine. I, I just, I don't know, the fact that they just threw him a ship that was the same, you know, <laughs> the Enterprise A. Like, uh Mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe they could have upgraded it a little or maybe given them the Excelsior or, you know, something to set it apart from, like, okay, we're we're still having adventures, but they're different now. I think, I think they figure if they give him an Enterprise, he won't blow it up quite as fast as he would, say, an Excelsior. Yeah, that that may very well be. I know in the comics they, they went traipsing around in the Excelsior for a while. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Because, you know, we pointed that out before where between movies, the comics people had no idea where the next one was going and so there's this whole weird branching continuity where they just you know where they just continue having adventures that are immediately contradicted by the next movie yeah between three and four they went on adventures in the bird of prey right and, and between two and three like bones was just wandering around saying remember what am i supposed to remember i don't know <laughs> was it the bagpipes is that what i was supposed to remember i don't know <laughs> What did you mean? Am I, supposed to, am I supposed to pick up his laundry, feed his fish? <laughs> I, I guess I guess we should talk about the money thing, because this is where we really first get the first time where they say there's no money in the future. We don't know how to, how money works. Yeah. This completely destroys every everything. Like this yeah. everything falls apart about twenty third century society now that we stupid jokes in this movie and everything is ruined forever. Yeah, because now it's like, well, They've mentioned money a bunch of times. They mentioned that people get paid. They mentioned that things cost things. But mm-hmm. now, nope. So how do they work? Well, nobody knows. Right. So, yeah, this is this. I mean, this, I kind of get it when we get around to replicator technology just because no one, you know. Yeah, no one needs like, money because resources are infinitely replenishable. Yeah, That's shitty fine. food just comes right out of this thing. Right. As long as you how have energy. How do you build a replicator without resources? Can you replicate replicators? Another good question. Well, I think once you build the first one, you're all set. But can can you replicate replicators? They can. There's re- just this planet somewhere that just is overrun with replicators. <laughs> yeah, they don't they know how to turn it off. off. Exactly. It seems like like kind of almost a Schrodinger's cat problem. You know, you're like, if I open the door, will there be an endless chain of replicators? <laughs> going? 
Well, they, they mentioned that in, um, I think it came up in DS9, where they can replicate simple parts, but they can't replicate complex parts. Like, they can they can give you the pieces to build a replicator, but there's certain parts of it, like, you know, that you can't. So, like, okay, I guess... so they can replicate the T-800, but not the T-1000. Yes. <laughs> but you also can't replicate um, the lithium crystals, for instance. Like Some there's... people would still go to war over those. Well, yes, exactly. Oh, but they also said it made them rechargeable in the 20th uh, Right, exactly. Century. They sprung for the rechargeable ones, which... Uh, yeah, exactly. You know, they, they <laughs> stopped... Jordy just plugged it in. Yeah, they stopped trying to put them in the oven because that doesn't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just picture every now and then Data, Data reaches in, grabs the crystal, touches it to his tongue. No, we still have some left. Mm. <laughs> mm, nine volt battery. <laughs> so yeah, the money thing's a bit uh, a bit weird. And then and then there is that I guess I guess implication that Sulu sleeps with the helicopter pilot. I don't know how else to interpret <laughs> I don't that. Think so. I think he's just friendly and Well I mean maybe they cut a scene. I mean it's funny because now we know, of course, that, that George Takei is gay and it's it's hilarious to project that onto Sulu, but seriously, what are we meant to believe happened there? He's getting friendly with a helicopter pilot, and then in the next scene, he's flying a Huey he around. He a helicopter. Yes. Yeah. Well, they're they're talking military history. I think that it was kind of that whole buddy system. You know, hey, I'm I'm just like you. I need yeah, to borrow but, a helicopter. But you know? I worked around helicopters for a while, and I worked around helicopter oh, yeah. pilots and these specific helicopters, in fact. And I know if you said, "Hey, that's a cool helicopter," those guys aren't just going to say, "You want to go fly it." Well, no. Yeah, like helicopters true. are pretty expensive, especially a Huey, which is a military helicopter. That was not a. Yeah. That's not a civilian helicopter. That was like a, that well, dude is going to get in a lot of trouble. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I learned about the Hueys. So when I, I was going to be a medevac pilot. Really, very nice. Yeah, yeah I, I worked in the um, the upgrade program. We were taking the Vietnam era ones and making them like modern, putting digital stuff in them and all that. But um, awesome. yeah, but the but anyway. I, I know those pilots, if you walked up to one and said, hey, that's pretty cool, they wouldn't just uh, let you cart around uh, plexiglass with it. That's that's not cool. But I don't, I don't think that you could bone them and get it either, though, I guess is my point. Yeah, well, I don't know, because, I mean, back then there was a real, I mean, not that it's completely fixed now, but back then there was a real desperation with gay guys in the military where they're so worried about getting caught, so, you know. Maybe At least they did finally repeal Don't Ask Don't Tell. Yeah, exactly, but I mean, you know, at, in 1987 they hadn't. Yeah, I don't think, but yeah, I guess what my point is, it's not like you wouldn't be able to find someone. Right. But what I'm saying is, you know, because he's like, oh my God, this, what if this guy tells on me? What if this guy rats um, me out and, and you know, yeah. like maybe Sulu played that card? I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm just. So he gave up the body for the team. Yes, exactly. He played Kirk this time. Yep. He took one, as it were. I think, I think he gave one. Uh, Ah, I think Sulu well, with his lots of time. I'm sure they he's a giver. Time. Well, I think Sulu with his fascination for guns and so forth. I think he's a top, but that's just my guess. I, don't know. <laughs> I think I... he's a switch. Yeah, it could be. I don't know. Mm-hmm. See, the thing is, he has a daughter in in a future movie. So does he really? He does. Oh, that's right. In yeah, generations, that's right. she's the helmsman of the Enterprise yeah, B. Right. So, so there's that whole thing. So I I don't know. We, we could just call it. We could just I call mean, it a plot hole and move century. on. Century Sulu's got plenty of options. That this is true. Exactly. Yeah. I I would honestly I would genuinely like if retroactively they revealed that he was gay. Like that would be a nice mm. you know because it's supposed to be progressive and they're supposed to have you know like representations of all various kinds of humanity and it would you know it'd be nice. 
But I still don't know if there's any actual continuity gay characters in Star Trek. No, there are not. And Amanda has pointed this out to me all the time. Like, here's your uh, here's your progressive show. No gays allowed. Like, shut up. Mm-hmm. It's still a good show. Shut up. Though uh, so it's never really talked about for a lot of the characters, so. No. And they, they skirt around it, but they, they never really directly address it. And, you know. Ah, mm. Anyway, back to the movie at hand. Any Any further observations any other uh let's see i don't like most of my notes are that's funny that's funny <laughs> i've got a lot of insightful <laughs> observations here because it was just so light and i mean that in a good way but... yeah yeah there's really not a not a ton of to discuss here really there, there's a nice uh there's a nice chemistry between spock and Sarek again which i always enjoy yep that's i don't a... know what you're talking about um you know the his his dad, your future father-in-law. Oh, oh! I'm talking about that girl. Okay. No, 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 not Savick. Oh no! Sorry, sorry, sorry. sorry. I thought you said <laughs> I don't know. Yes, yes. She, she got left on Vulcan because she's yeah, not exactly. allowed to have a wacky Earth adventures in the past. Well, she didn't do anything See, I wrong. Just, I just call him Dad. You know, I forget that, <laughs> that he has anything. Well, you know, he does like human women, so I imagine he's probably cool with that. <laughs> I'm a human woman. I'm perfect. <laughs> you are his type. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not uh, his father's type because I'm not blonde. So. <laughs> well, all right. That's then. fixable. Yeah. Especially in the future. Were... Oh, yeah. In the future, but... they probably have like a hair wand. Just like, you know, bing, yeah. now you're blonde. <laughs> really? You think that's the sound it would make? I think that's exactly <laughs> the sound that it would make. Why? I'm just wondering. All right. Why don't, why don't we... would love me as I was. Well, mm-hmm. Yes. And that's why my notes are all full of, you know, I, I love yeah. Spock over and over again. And, yeah, and Din plus Spock. <laughs> Din of Vulcan. <laughs> <laughs> all right, any, any further business or shall we press forward to our quotes? I think I'm good. All right. Yeah. Okay, very well. Uh, well, I'll, I'll start with mine first. It's just, uh, we talked about the... Um, <laughs> the great stuff between uh, Bones and and Spock when they're coming to Earth, and uh, there's a there's a great scene just uh, where Bones is being classic Bones. So here it is. Hi, busy. Uhura is busy. I am monitoring. Hmm. Well, I just want to say, sure is nice to have your Catra back in your head, not mine. What I mean is, I may have carried your soul, but I sure couldn't fill your shoes. My shoes. Forget it. Perhaps we could cover a little philosophical ground. Life, death, life, things of that nature. I did not have time on Vulcan to review the philosophical disciplines. Come on, Spock, it's me, McCoy. You really have gone where no man's gone before. Can't you tell me what it felt like? It would be impossible to discuss the subject without a common frame of reference. You're joking. A joke is a story with a humorous climax. You mean I have to die to discuss your insights on death? Forgive me, Doctor. I'm receiving a number of distress calls. I don't doubt it. All right. Matt, what do you got? I went. I, I spent a lot of time thinking about this one, but eventually I just had to go with some guy called Chekhov a retard. What do you think? He's a Ruski. 
that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. Of course, he's a rusky, but he's a retard or something. Well, <laughs> you can never lose with that. No. Really. Uh, Dan, what do you got? Well, I, I went with the part where uh, Spock and Dr. Taylor are arguing about whose whales they are. They like you very much, but they are not the hell your whales. I, I suppose they've told you that, huh? The hell they did. Right. Spock in the uh, in the throes yeah. of, his, of his experiments with colorful metaphors. <laughs> yes, exactly. His linguistic <laughs> mastery of colorful, colorful oh, metaphors. Colorful metaphors. I do like that they use that to its to its absolute you know full advantage. Like you know what? Let's go for yep. the PG thirteen. Actually, if they had a PG thirteen, I think they could say fuck once, so it might just be PG. Yep. Because that would have been strange and, hearing one of those one of them say fuck. And it wasn't done either. I don't think. No, not at all. It was done exactly for comedic effect and nothing else right which was nice all right for my alternate title i went with uh damn hell ass trek the colorful metaphor initiative (laughs) i did uh star trek 4 whale wars whale wars whale wars (laughs) all right did i have they are not the hell your whales star trek versus norway and japan oh so you said you (laughs) wouldn't mention which countries and uh i'm pretty okay with this you blew your cover there that may or may not have any. Maybe he just doesn't like sweaters. Well, who does, really? <laughs> I mean, you know, you, on Vulcan Christmas, you open up and it's like, ooh, a present. Oh, a sweater. Thank you. Yeah. Goddamn Star Trek anime sucks. So, you know, it could be <laughs> yeah, that, about that. There you go. All right, Din. Well, it's, it has been a pleasure. We, we definitely uh, enjoy your company. We should have you back. Um, I mean, is your is your crush on Data nearly as close as your crush on Spock, or it, would it be it's worth close. it? It's close. It's close. It is not as pure, um, mm-hmm. but but yes, yes, it is. It is close. I had to you know come to terms with my Spocklessness, right. and the vo- the void <laughs> in my heart was was quasi filled by a certain skinned replicant. Well, we should definitely it's... have you back to discuss that at a future date, then. Absolutely. Oh, as long as I don't. Ha- as long as you don't ask me my opinion of Yar. I think we're all on the same page there. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think, we, I think we could have a genuine debate about Savic, but I don't think anyone's jumping to the defense of Tasha Yar. No. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a problem with Savic. Savic is a good character. I think she's, you know, especially whole powerful female, you know, competent and goes. Well, yeah, given that all you um, had was Uhura, like, it was nice to, to throw an extra girl in the mix, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Right, right. I just refuse to accept the fact that she may have gotten it all. Gotten your Kool-Aid, as Matt says. Uh, exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, that's exactly. all for this week, and that is all... Oh, God, Matt. You know what happens next week, don't you? You know how much fun... You know, you, you're, you know how much fun we've had the last three weeks? Like, we've really been enjoying yes. ourselves, talking to our friends, and watching these great movies. Well, next week that all ends. Uh-oh. Stay tuned for jerk Star Trek. Ugh. Hey, let's let Bill direct one. Oh, Lord. So, <laughs> look forward to that, I don't friends. Understand. Like, <clears throat> I don't understand. You let Leonard do it. You gave Leonard top. Yeah. I want top. Lemoy got one. Lemoy got two, actually. Well, yes, that's right. He did. Oh, right. oh, I would give him one. <laughs> and on that note, Mr. Matt, take us out. See you, folks. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar Watt and Matt Robotham, copyright 2011. Please don't sue us, we're just doing this for fun.